Therefore, we're going to take a departure from the book of Jonah as we've been working our way through Jonah verse by verse. We'll pick that up again next week. But since we've been in Jonah, I thought it would be appropriate to look at this particular portion of Scripture in preparing our hearts for communion. There are some lessons to be learned from the book of Jonah that are applied to the Pharisees and scribes in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to consider the sign of the prophet Jonah. As the passage before us opens, the scribes are responding to all that Jesus has been saying and doing. It states in verse 38 that some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, he had not addressed a question to them. They are not answering a specific issue that Jesus raised, but rather it's a response. It is the way in which they responded to everything that Jesus had been saying and doing. How did the scribes and Pharisees respond to Jesus? Answer, they said in verse 38, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We want some demonstration. We want proof that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. Jesus' response is to rebuke them for seeking a sign. He states in verse 39, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. He says that their desire for proof is, in fact, wickedness. Now, why would it be wicked for the scribes and Pharisees to want Jesus to prove or demonstrate who he is and the truthfulness of what he says he will do? Well, if you look earlier in the text, obviously we have not been preaching through this verse by verse, but if you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, back to Matthew 12, 22, then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, that's to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Can this be the promised Messiah? Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. They said that the power that Jesus was displaying was not a power coming from God. This was not a good power. This was an evil power. This was a power that was satanic. This was an ability that the evil one had granted to Jesus. And so here is Jesus performing a mighty miracle and they, in turn, ascribing it to the evil one. And so, he says to the Pharisees, who say, show us a sign, he says, you are evil. For they were ascribing what was good to evil, and what was evil to good. 
They were taking what Jesus had demonstrated and refused to hear and to believe. It was a sham. It was a sham. It was not true. They were not looking for authentication of Jesus' message. They knew the truth. They were trying to to catch Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 16. Keep your finger here. We're coming right back. Matthew 16. More light is shed on what is taking place. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, starting at verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So they were testing him. They were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to say or do something that would enable them to find fault with Jesus. They're not looking for truth. Jesus rebukes them for failing to see the significance of the signs that he already provided. Matthew 16, 2. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You maybe know the old proverb. Red at night, sailors delight. Red in the morning, sailors take warning. Well, it's as old as the New Testament. Then he goes on to say, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. You can look at the sky and say, oh, it's going to be a clear day, or it's going to be a stormy day. You are able to ascertain by looking at the events that you are witnessing and understand the weather. But you are looking at these signs. You are looking at all the things that I am doing, and yet you're unable to determine the truth. You're unable to see what is blatantly before you, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now notice verse 4 of chapter 16. An adulterous and evil generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So here is this restatement of this same truth. No other sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So what was that sign? Well, going back to Matthew chapter 12, if you turn back there, Jesus informs them that there is one sign yet to come. Matthew 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is speaking of his resurrection. And the greatest sign that they're going to have that Jesus is truly the Son of God is the fact that he is going to be raised from the dead. He's going to be in the earth, it says, excuse me, three days and three nights. Now, as 
you read that passage, as many do, and they read the uh, English Bible, and they read three days and three nights, and they think about the fact that Jesus died on a Friday afternoon, and of course he rose on what is our Sunday morning, and people say, well, how is that three days and three nights? It's a Jewish idiom. Idioms are difficult to, to translate for uh, they are just that. They are an idiom. And it just means three days. In, a, in the Jewish way of thinking, any part of a day was a full day. Any part of a, a day would be a day and a night, as the Jewish culture thought of it. And so it's just simply saying, for three days or parts thereof, he's going to be uh, in the, the grave. And of course, that's exactly what takes place. But it's this resurrection that's going to be the ultimate demonstration that Jesus is the Son of God. Of course, the, the Pharisees even understood this, for they said after Jesus had died that this charlatan has said that after three days he would rise again. And so they wanted a uh, force, they wanted a guard to be placed at the tomb to make sure that that no one would steal the body of Jesus and say that he had risen from the dead when he hadn't. So the Pharisees understood what Jesus was saying. And in the book of Romans, we read this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and a part of the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And now these words and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now notice three things in that verse. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, according to the working of the Holy Spirit by his resurrection from the dead. Remember that these Pharisees had said that Jesus was doing these miracles by the power of the evil one. The resurrection would prove that Jesus was doing his work by the Holy Spirit. For the resurrection would demonstrate that God found acceptance with Jesus' death. That God was granting approval of all that Jesus had done. For God did not condemn him to an eternal death and hell, but rather God had raised him from the dead. And it was a demonstration, the ultimate demonstration, that Jesus was who he said he was and could do what he said he would do. But what is at issue... In this particular passage, in Matthew chapter 12, is the wickedness of the Pharisees in refusing to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus as their Savior. For notice Matthew 12, 41. Matthew 12, 41. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, that is the people of Nineveh, repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. We haven't gotten that far in the book of Jonah that we have talked about the repentance of the Ninevites. We'll get to that next week or the week after, but we haven't gotten there yet. But the Ninevites do repent at Jonah's preaching. And so what is contrasted is the response of the Pharisees to the response of the Ninevites. Now you have to understand that the Ninevites were considered to be about the most wicked people on the face of the earth, according to the Jewish people. And the Ninevites did do some incredible atrocities against the Israelites when they uh, overtook them in battle. Mutilating women, children, I mean, did some incredible, horrific atrocities. And the Israelites looked at the Ninevites as scum. Totally unworthy of repentance. Totally unworthy of God's acceptance of them. They were as low as low could be. Well, Jesus compares the Pharisees to the Ninevites and calls the Pharisees a wicked and an adulterous generation. Adulterous because of God's covenant with the nation of Israel, where God took Israel to be a wife unto them. And the Israelites were to honor and worship and serve God. And God is saying to these Israelites, you have not been faithful to me. You have not been faithful to the covenant. You've gone after other gods. You are a wicked and an adulterous generation. And then it goes on to say that the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment against the Israelites for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Remember, they're asking of Jesus a sign. Jesus, show us that you are who you say you are. The Ninevites asked no sign of Jonah. The Ninevites asked no proof of Jonah. They believed Jonah's message. The Pharisees rejected Jesus' message. And he says to them, a greater than Jonah is here. Now let me point out to you some ways in which Jesus was greater than Jonah. Jesus is greater than Jonah in his person. Jonah was a mere prophet. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus is greater than Jonah in his works. The Pharisees had been asking to see a sign. Jonah did not perform any miracles in Nineveh. There was nothing that he referred to that authenticated his message. He simply proclaimed what God's word said, and the people believed God and repented. Jesus had been performing these miracles, and the Pharisees were saying, oh, he does that by the power of the evil one. He doesn't do that by the power of God. Jesus is greater than Jonah in his concern. Jesus wept over the lack of repentance on the part of the people of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. 
When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. As Jesus thought about the unrepentant Israelites, he wept over their coming destruction. Jonah was angered at the repentance of the people. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw that they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Jonah was angry when God spared the Ninevites. Jesus wept at thinking the Israelites would not be spared. Jesus was willing to give his life so that the people would live. I laid down my life for the sheep, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 15. Jonah was willing to give his life so that the Ninevites would not believe. He would rather die than to give them the message of repentance. Where Jesus is willing to die, that they can hear the message of, of repentance. Jesus is greater than Jonah in his obedience. Jonah ran from the will of God. Jesus came to perform the will of God. Jesus is greater than Jonah in his message. Jonah had a message of condemnation. Jesus has a message of forgiveness. God said to these wicked people that were seeking after a sign, no sign is going to be given to you but the sign of Jonah the prophet. As he was in the belly of a whale for three days, I'm going to be in the body of the earth for three days. And then I'm going to come forth. And you're going to know that I'm the Son of God. There will be no excuse. Once again, this morning, we are partaking of communion. The scripture says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death till he comes. If you have been attending this church for any period of time, you have sat through numerous communion messages and services. You have been hearing the word of God preached. You have heard the message of salvation. We are proclaiming that Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven and rose again so that we could have a new life in relationship to Jesus Christ and to God. Once again, you're going to be faced with a decision, for we're going to be distributing the communion elements. We're going to be distributing a cup that represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to distribute a piece of bread that represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Represents, they're not literally the blood and body, but they represent, they're figures of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by partaking of communion, you are saying, I accept, I believe, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm a partaker of the life that he gives. And so I am eating symbolically of his body. I'm drinking of his blood. I am accepting what Jesus Christ has done in offering himself in my place. By not partaking, you are saying that 
you do not trust in Jesus. You are not believing that he died in your place. You are not willing to acknowledge your need of forgiveness of sins that comes only through Jesus Christ. The big issue today is if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, why not? Why not? Why have you chosen not to ask Jesus to save you from your sins and bring yourself under his authority? Why not? I hate to be this blunt, but there's no good reason. There's no good reason. It isn't that we can't know assuredly that Jesus is the Son of God. It isn't that we just need one more proof, one more sign. If only Jesus would do a miracle in front of us all today, then I would believe. No, he wouldn't. Scripture says, if you don't believe the word of God, you would not believe it though someone were raised from the dead. And of course, ultimately, Jesus was. There's no good reason not to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I I would really like you to reflect upon that for a moment. For you are making a conscious choice today. There's no passivity. To choose not to believe is to choose to disbelieve. There's no middle ground. Either I accept this or I reject it. Uh, This morning, I would encourage you to accept and trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the means for which your sins can be forgiven. I've said it often. I can't say it enough. If there were any other way for sins to be forgiven, Jesus never would have died. The fact that Jesus died on the cross shows us that there is absolutely no other way for sins to be forgiven than through his shed blood. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So once again, I say to you, and perhaps this is the first time you were here this morning. I don't know. But I say to each and every one that is here this morning, you can place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to do so. And if you have accepted Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to partake of communion with us. But if you haven't, I would ask that you refrain, not because of any rule that we have, but because of what the Word of God teaches concerning communion. But before we have communion this morning, I would just like us to uh, bow our heads for prayer. And uh, I would say to you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, and today is that day that you are ready to make a commitment to Jesus, and ask him to forgive you of your sins, that you might live for him, I would ask quickly that you would raise your hand. Anybody here that would like to do that, would you quickly raise your hand so I can see it? I can acknowledge it. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray, not uh, uh, by name, but generically. Anyone at all. 
Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would be with us, help us. Uh, Lord, nourish our spiritual selves through the partaking of communion. Through the partaking of communion. Lord, help us to grow in our relationship to you, to express our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, and I'd ask our brethren to come forward.